0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast, the season preview editions of the podcast. This is Bill Koch here in the Providence Journal Studios downtown. Uh, I'm a sports writer here with the Journal. I will be covering a majority of your college basketball action as we get into this fall and winter uh, I will have the same two co-conspirators from last year. Um, our first guest uh, to help me preview the URI men, the Bryant men, and the women's scene here has a new title coming into twenty one twenty two. That is the sports director now at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch Gordon, folks.
1: Kachi, always great to be back. Uh, great to be back in person, without masks uh, for the first time. <laughs> exactly for the first time and. Great to be back in person at the Dunk uh, exhibition game against Stonehill and just seeing fans. and uh, Man, really excited for another season, another year on the pod, and uh, looking forward to imparting some wisdom on those <laughs> College Hoops fans in our area.
0: Uh, first first things first, I, I thank you for joining me again this season. I, I know that uh, your time is limited, and, and I appreciate you giving me some of it and uh, giving the listeners some of it. Uh, second,
1: formal podcast uh, congratulations on the promotion thank you so much yeah it's been it's been great obviously it was uh tough to see my guy yanni Caracas go uh but life took him down to the sunny state of florida and um was sort of right there and uh excited to continue to lead the department it's been four or five months now and we'll be the first covering college basketball and uh for those out there that watch or follow or listen uh, you can expect the same great coverage that we've always uh Always done, and uh, hopefully we're in Brooklyn. Hopefully we're in at Madison Square Garden and Washington, D.C. at the end of the year for conference tournaments, and hopefully we're at the big dance this year uh, covering a team. Yeah, uh, for folks who who don't
0: follow the media scene in Rhode Island, uh, Yanni Caracas, who is a longtime sports director at WPRI, his wife, Beth, lovely, talented as she is, got a great job offer in Florida that she could not pass up. Uh, Yanni is now working at a station in West Palm Beach, Real tough gig, tough. I'm sure. Tough, tough move to West Palm for Yanni with a pool in his backyard and sunning himself every day. Uh, you know, sure, it's a really difficult uh, <laughs> lifestyle he's living down there. Um, you know, but he's doing a lot of pro stuff: Dolphins, Florida Panthers, uh, a little bit of the U. Yeah. I, I've seen on his timeline. Yeah. Um, and WPRI made the sensible decision to promote Maury into the big seat, um, and. For folks who have watched WPRI and Fox Providence, I don't think you've seen them skip a beat, and I think that's a testament to Yanni and what he built there and Maury and what he's continuing uh, along with there. Um, You know, Maury, as you said, excited to be here at this point, Um, not just college basketball-wise, but in a societal perspective. I I also was at the dunk for Providence and Stonehill with a few fans there. Uh, I also went to Bryant and Nichols. Um, an exhibition game at the Chase. Uh, you know, I, I know that you and I were in a couple gyms last year, you know, toward the end of the year, the Ryan Center specifically, um, and I spent a lot of time at Fenway Park last year, an empty Fenway Park. Uh, it was just sad, really. It, it was strange. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. And even just that little taste of the Providence exhibition against Stonehill and the Bryan exhibition against Nichols. I felt so much more alive. Oh, my God. You know, it's so, so much better. I, I can't wait for that feeling to, to just grow over the course of this year as we get back to college basketball as it should be.
1: I mean, we heard Alex Cora and the Red Sox after that that unexpected and, and great run that they made in October, how loud Fenway Park was, how the the players obviously feed off the crowd's energy, but the crowd energy in the playoffs this year trumped 18 and trumped 7 and trumped 4. Because people have been so cooped up. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only imagine what the Ryan Center is going to be like, what the Dunkin' Donuts Center is going to be like, what the Piz is going to be like, and, and what the Chase is going to be like. I mean, you think about it, we have four great Division One basketball teams in our area, four teams with a lot of big question marks coming into the year, but a lot of potential. Um, you know, I know you and Nick are, are going to talk about PC and, and Brown, but Brown's on the cusp of, a, of an Ivy League playoff. PC has a chance to get back to the big dance with one of their better players in, in, in recent history back and Nate Watson uh and some other elder statesmen and then we're going to talk about URI and Bryant but Bryant on the cusp of winning the NEC and URI has a chance to get back to the top of the A-10 so you think about that you think about the students you think about the communities and the 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 sponsors and the donors and and everybody just wants to be back everybody wants to watch watch sports in person and uh I think it's going to be an awesome year, and it obviously adds to our experience going down and covering those teams. Uh, covering the the Rhodey Rams last year at a at a you know there really wasn't anybody there, I guess, at the Ryan Center. Yeah, uh, maybe a few a few family members and a few a uh, few staff members. But man, it's going to add to the experience, and it's going to be great. And uh, hopefully it, it you know gives some life to those teams out on the court and I, it can feed off of that.
0: I have always said, I, I have been critical of the attendance at URI in the past. I, that's well documented. My relationship with the fans there is not great. I understand that. But I have always said that a full Ryan Center is one of the best environments in college basketball. That, that building, just its construction, the fact that the seats are right on the floor and hanging over the floor, tight walls. It's, it's a you know, cement old barn. Really, really like it there. It's, it's as good as anywhere in the A-10 when they're able to sell it out and push 7,600. Um, you know, One of the best home environments that, that you will find. Uh, in terms of the Rams, and we will start with them, I, I think, Maury, out of our four men's teams in the state, I look at URI and I see the widest variance for where they could finish. I think we have a pretty good idea of who the other three teams are. URI is probably the team that I look at and I think these guys could be decent. These guys could be a disaster. They could fall somewhere in the middle. I genuinely do not know what to expect from the Rams. I I, I have genuine questions about that, even in my quote-unquote expert opinion. I I wonder if you feel the same.
1: I do. I do. I was thinking about that on the drive over here. and Um, Sort of like three doors the way the season can go. All right, what's the best-case scenario? How many wins? Where do they fall in conference? This could be a 20-plus win program. Sure. Uh, you have two studs down, down below and, and, and brothers who have the ultimate chemistry, um, mm-hmm. despite not playing together that much the last couple of years, whether it be at Maryland or last year, their first year in Keeney Blue. Uh, You have three solid guards. You're adding one to the program who seems to be a heady leader Mm -hmm. and who brings a lot of off-the-court intangibles, Anish El-Amin, and you return a Jeremy Shepard and Anish Leggett. So you could really see the pieces coming together and turning into a 22-23 win program. You could also see a program that's solid, makes consistent improvements, and, and ends up in the high teens and flirts with an NIT bid. And I don't think many people would scoff at that. Sure, you're getting used to going to NCAA tournaments under Danny Hurley, and you were right there under David Cox in one of his first few years. But that's still uh, a solid season, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then, like you said, you know, I don't think it's going to be a disaster in terms of single-digit wins. But last year wasn't great. You kind of right. saw how the wheels fell off. You could sort of make the case for why that could happen again. Um, would take an injury. Would take, you know a team popping up in the A-10 that we didn't expect, um, but you could see that. However, I think we are to the side of decent, sort of that second middle door, maybe that first door, and I think that's what we're going to be here to talk about. Obviously, we'll break down the schedule and the team, some of the additions, and uh, some of the returners who we, who we expect to make that big jump in year two or year three.
0: Uh, you or I picked seventh in the A-10 preseason poll. That's exactly where I had them. I had a vote in the preseason poll. I put them seventh. Um, to be fair, last year I voted them third. I thought that they had considerable talent and and would compete at or near the top of the league. Uh, that ultimately did not happen. They finished ten and fifteen. They lost seven of their last eight. Uh, really struggled down the stretch. Um, you know, as you said, had injuries that that affected them. Fats Russell wasn't healthy all year. Uh, Makai Mitchell played seven games before he hurt his left knee. Um, And obviously, Alan Tran suffers a a devastating left knee injury uh, in the Atlantic 10 tournament against Dayton, which should keep him out for this season. Um, Jeremy Shepard picked to the preseason third team for the Rams. Uh, uh, Mikhail Mitchell picked to the all-defensive team preseason. He was a top-50 shot blocker in the nation last year, according to Ken Palm. Uh, I voted for Mikhail for the all-defensive team. I I think he's more than deserving. Of that honor. Um, you, know, you look at the Rams, and, and you know, Maury, I, I think in terms of who they're going to play, uh, we saw in their secret scrimmage against St. John's over the weekend a, a starting five that, quite frankly, I expected. Um, you know, you got Jeremy Shepard, Ish El Ish Leggett, and the Mitchell Twins down low. Um, you know, I don't think it's a surprise that, that you're going to see those five guys. Out front, uh, from the standpoint that you know Leggett's obviously a guy you put a lot of currency in as a recruit. Uh, Elamine is not coming in here as a grad transfer to come off the bench. I, I think anyone who thought that, that he was going to be a six man or anything like that is a little misguided. Uh, you know, Shepard obviously starting last year, and and then the twins. You know, Mikhail Mitchell is, is certainly your five man. Um, you know, Makkay shows probably your most skill as, as a stretch four, and 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 I think. That goes back to recruiting. You're not going to bring those two guys in here from Maryland and, and bring one of them off the bench. I, I don't think that's part of the arrangement. Um, you know, it, it's not just about what happens on the floor when you're running a college program. It's about you're managing the players, you're managing their families, you're managing expectations, you're managing the promises that you make to them when you get them to commit to you. Um, and I look at their freshman year at Maryland and, and Makai was the brother who was playing. McHale is sitting behind Joel Marial. They last a semester there. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think when you're recruited to your next stop, it's, hey, yeah, we'll come here. But we're both playing. We're both starting. That's the arrangement. Um, you know. And so that leaves Antoine Walker, Malik Martin, Jalen Carey off the bench. I-, I think that's probably your primary eight-man rotation with URI uh you know that's certainly what they showed against St. John's and uh you know realistically I I think that's a decent place to start if if you're looking at an A-10 team that that is going to
1: try to play in the top half of the league yeah this is a team that I think if they bring it every night um we saw them bring it every night the sort of beginning part of last year before things got got off the trail um it's a team that can compete they have the size they have the speed they have the athleticism um and you just have to you know, think about you know, coming off the bench. you like to have a, reserve, a guard come off the bench who you can, who you can trust. Um, not sure if, if Jalen Carey can make that step this year. Um, but you have three that are great in your starting lineup. So even if you are you know, substituting Walker and Martin off the bench for one of the Mitchell twins or one of the guards... You play that seven. That, I think that seven. We can sort of agree on that. That those will be the ones that, that play the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they've. I mean, they've a decent a decent opportunity to, to come out to get some early wins on their non conference schedule, um, build some steam and, and build some momentum heading into a ten play. Uh, a lot of winnable games in the non conference, and then hopefully you know they, they put it all together come December thirtieth when they host Dayton.
0: I, I look at this team and and I think you know what's their identity going to be. I think that's maybe what they've struggled to find uh, under David Cox for three years. I, I look at most really good basketball programs, and, and Maury, I know you grew up around one with Villanova, obviously, in, in Philadelphia. And I look at you know, most really good programs, and I think, what's your identity going to be? And, and I look at URI when Dan Hurley was here, and it was obvious. It was hard-nosed, uncompromising defense. Offensively, they'd have some nights where they looked like they'd never handled the ball, never shot the ball, never figured out what to do with the ball at that end of the floor. But they'd beat you 60-55 because they were so single-minded, so focused at that end of the floor. They were so tough. Um, you know, look, you look at someone like Villanova and it's skill development and interchangeable pieces on the perimeter and three-point shooting. That's sort of Jay Wright's go-to. Um, you know you look at someone like VCU when they broke through under Shaka Smart and it was havoc defense and pressure and forcing turnovers and when you're a college program you not only do you play that way and you coach that way but you recruit players to that you foster that culture it's year over year over year that's what building a program is not necessarily having a team and i look at URI and i think You know, there was one year under David, the the year they went twenty-one to nine, where they played really fast. Their adjusted tempo was in the top fifty. The other two years, they're one thirty plus. Um, You know, I look at their adjusted offense; they haven't necessarily been that great. Their adjusted defense: the year they went twenty-one to nine under David, they were top forty defense. The other two years, they're outside the top eighty-five. You know, they forced a lot of turnovers. The year they were really good under David. Last year, they were two thirteen in defensive turnover percentage, or sorry, offensive turnover percentage. Um, last year they were 255 in defensive turnover percentage. So you're not necessarily at the point where you're still digging in, grinding, really making it hard for opponents, which is fine if you're good at the offensive end, but they don't shoot the ball well from three or at the foul line. So it's not necessarily that. So are they going to commit to maybe one or two elite things that they can do well that they're going to emphasize in practice and into games. Tailor their lineup that way. Tailor their scouting reports that way. And actually try to execute that over 30 games. I'll, I'll be interested to see if they can commit in that way because I think ultimately that leads to a lot more long-term success.
1: It does, no, no doubt. And I think it starts with heady play with your guards. Um, that's that first line of, de- of defense when, when the opposition's bringing the ball over the court. Can you pressure the ball? Can you set the tone? Um, and it seems like, from what we saw in, in their first years, you know, Ish Leggett can, can defend uh, well, can defend a couple different positions. Uh, Jeremy Shepard, I'm sure, has to uh, fine-tune some things on the defensive end and, and stay with it a full possession and stay with it a full half and a full game. And like you said, over the, over the course of a full 30-game season, uh, Ish el everything from what we've heard and we'll see uh, in the exhibition game against Johnson and Wales on Thursday night uh, before the season opener against BU on Tuesday, see if he has that you know, defensive prowess. Um, but it starts on the perimeter. The big guys can only do so much, and, and we know that Mikhail Mitchell uh, had a great season last year. Uh, we know that he's preseason all-defensive team, as you mentioned, uh, and Makai has sort of that same build and that same frame down low, but it starts on the perimeter. Uh, and, and I like the, the, the heart and the hustle that they bring in off the bench in Antoine Walker and Malik Martin. So you do have the pieces to sort of have that Danny Hurley esque um, defensive mindset. Um, but that, that relentless will to win um, on, at every inch of the court, <clears throat> excuse me, is something that David Cox brought up in his A 10 media availability. Um, he wants to show the league that. He said he wants to show the country that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, to, you have to think that after last year, they do want to have some type of identity. And I think that was a focus for him and his staff in the offseason. No, I think that's
0: absolutely right. Um, you know, I think we could see on the perimeter, we, we did see a ninth player in the rotation who we are both familiar with, and that's Sebastian Thomas, the, the former point guard at uh, Bishop Hendrickson, uh, who was initially scheduled to redshirt this year, and that's looking like it's in question now. Uh, it seems like Sebastian Thomas has played his way into this rotation, uh, maybe as an extra guard alongside Jalen Carey. Uh, that does not say great things for Tresbury, uh for Ileri, Filet, or for Abdul Sam, who did not appear um, in the Saint John's game. I, I would look at the front court guys, Murray, and I would say you got three guys for two spots: the twins and, and Walker. It would more than make sense that they take up eighty minutes at the four and the five. So I could understand. I.O. Filet, and Sam having trouble getting into this rotation. Um, you know, and I'm perfectly fine with having developmental players on your bench. That That's okay. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily a big believer in playing 10 or 11 guys at the college level. That's more an NBA thing. Agreed. You know that the guys on the on your bench are still pros. Um, you know, at this point, cut down your rotation. Get the seven or eight guys who you really trust and go. I think you see the best teams do that. Um, but it would be interesting to me if, if Thomas... Is sort of that fourth or fifth guard who, who maybe spells guys in foul trouble, uh, maybe can be a bit of a caretaker with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, it's sort of like the backup quarterback in the NFL. You put him out there and you say, okay, don't do too much. Take the snap, hand it off, hit the tight end on a quick pass. You know, don't try to throw it 40 yards down the field. Um, in, in basketball parlance, it'd be we don't need you to come out and score 15 points. Just give us ten minutes where you defend, you rebound a little bit, and and you facilitate a little bit, you know, pass the ball to Makai and then get out of his way, um, you know, and I I think that might work, um, you know. So at that point you're you're going into the season. You've got eight or nine players in your rotation who you've identified, and I think as you look at the non-conference schedule, uh, there are going to be chances here for URI to sort of get their feet under them. Um, If you look at Ken Palm, his preseason rankings, uh, URI plays one top 100 game out of conference, and that's at Providence on December 4th. Uh, They will resume the rivalry grudge match this year uh, after taking a year off last season. Uh, They open with my BU Terriers on November 9th uh, at the Ryan Center. Um, I'm not going to say who I'm going to be rooting for in that one. I'm a media member. I don't root for anyone, (laughs) to, to be fair. Uh, you know, if you or I played uh, the Q's, we we know who you'd be in for. Uh, I don't root. No, never. <laughs> never. Never. If you or I played Kunipiak, you wouldn't... Uh... No, I wouldn't root. Uh, you also see the look <laughs> on his face right now. Um, you know, but in terms of non-conference schedule, uh, I know you and I have both circled this game, a really interesting one, you or I against Bryant on November 12th as part of the Sunshine Slam, uh, which is an MTE that's going to be played in, in Daytona Beach. Uh, This is part of a non bracketed, uh, the non bracketed portion of the event. I would imagine the Bulldogs would be thrilled to be drawn against URI just for that sort of in state challenge. It's a game they don't normally play. Uh, If you're URI and you watched Bryant nearly win at Syracuse last year and win at UMass last year, your attention is going to be pretty firmly focused on on that one, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that. URI saw that success Bryant had last year, knowing that they can't take the Bulldogs lightly. And we saw what the score was a couple of years ago in Jared Grosso's first game. 97-64. Uh, David Cox's first game as well. It was Cox's first game, exactly. So yep. it was a 30-point blowout. But Bryant's not going to scare anybody. I mean, Bryant's not going to creep up on anybody. They're, they are, no. are going to put a scare into some teams, and, and it's good that uh, URI knows... Brian's atop to the league, and, and Brian has some ball players because URI will bring their A game for sure um, that Friday on the 12th. You know Some other interesting games, obviously Boston
0: College at home. They have a first-year coach in Earl Grant, who you have seen before. He was at the helm of Charleston. Previously, URI has played uh, Charleston in, in past years. Uh, you start with Tulsa at the Sunshine Slam. You could either play Utah or BC again, which would be interesting. You play the Eagles twice in three games. That would be interesting. Uh, a bit strange. You have a three-game Florida swing. You play Dunk City on November 23rd. That's Florida Gulf Coast for people who just pay no attention to college basketball. Uh, Georgia State's a really good home-and-home. Home. Uh, that's a good Sun Belt team. Um, you know, Some folks might pick them to win that league. Uh, you're at Harvard. You're at Providence. Sacred Heart here, which is a bye game. You'd expect to win that one. You're at Milwaukee. You're facing a, a potential lottery pick there in Patrick Baldwin Jr., His father is the coach. That's why he's at Milwaukee. Uh, Be nice to see old friend Adam Shem, who used to work in marketing at URI. I I know he played a little bit of a part in in arranging that game. Uh, And then you play Charleston in D.C., uh, a nice homecoming for some of URI's roster. Uh, You're playing them at the G League home of the Washington Wizards, which will be a pretty cool opportunity, I would think. Um, Brown at home, and then you get into conference play against Dayton. So... You know you're looking at the non-conference and there's no sort of marquee up game like Maryland like Wisconsin, um, you know, games that URI has played in previous seasons. I, I think this schedule was made to build some confidence here. And, and I think that's important, coming off ten and fifteen. It's important when you've had a traditional preseason now, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on building chemistry, getting to know each other. Sort of having that normalcy, that rhythm of practice um, that they necessarily didn't get last year. I, I know that David Cox has mentioned that just about every time he's spoken publicly. I know he's relying on that heavily, um, and I think that in some of these games, it's important to have some success. It's important to feel good about yourselves, and and I think that's why when I look at the St. John's result, people say, "Well, it's a secret scrimmage, you know, it's not a real game, and whatever else." I don't think it's too early. To start winning. I I would love to see you or I come out and only play seven or eight guys and beat Johnson Wales by 70
1: in the exhibition. I I just think it's important to get back in that habit. It does. It takes time to win. It takes time to learn how to win. Uh, that, That just doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by just bringing in talent. They have to learn how to play with each other, and they have to learn how to close games out and execute in the toughest moments. So, no, I, I put a decent amount of stock in that win against St. John's in the secret scrimmage, just like you do, Bill. Um, and when I look at the out-of-conference schedule, and it was a point that you had just touched on a little bit, and I was going to bring it up when you were talking about Sebastian Thomas earlier, you can play a freshman now early because he's had a full summer, because he's had a full off-season, yeah, because he knows what college basketball is, is like. Last year we saw, you know, the first four or five or six games, it was it was hard. You didn't have any exhibition games. So David Cox was playing a bunch of guys at Mohican Sun, trying to, you know, sort out rotations and minutes and rolls and things like that. There were also a lot of new faces. I think this year URI hits the ground running a little bit more for the reasons we just said. And then also you have some games here that are a little easier on the non-conference schedule. So it's you can take care of a BU. Can you take care of Bryant at home? Bryant's going to throw everything at their way. Um, BC isn't going to be a, a you know big Power Five uh, opponent for a, a few years until Earl Grant really gets that going. So you have a chance here to, to win some games early, build some momentum and some confidence going into the PC game, which is going to be the biggest game in the non-conference, always is, mm-hmm. uh, but this year especially, knowing that that's the only top one hundred game they play, and then you know hopefully you, some of that fire still burns. In their rear end from that loss at Brown a couple years ago at the Piz, right, and you can finish the out of conference strong. So if you can bookend the out of conference with some wins, the middle games there's some tougher ones there, like we said with PC or on the road at Harvard or on the or on the road at Milwaukee, but they should be in every single game, and we should see a big difference uh, in this team from the get go this year. Quick
0: look at the Atlantic Ten: Saint Bonaventure is a unanimous favorite; they got all 28 votes uh, from the coaches and media members. Uh, in the preseason poll released last week, uh, they're going to open the season in the top twenty-five. Uh, obviously, have some great talent coming back. Whether it's Kyle Lofton, Osuna, Suniyi, uh their entire starting five returning. Um, that's a really good team. Mark Schmidt is a great coach. Uh, Richmond, a solid second in the preseason poll. Uh, an ancient roster. I mean, Jacob Gilliard, Grant Golden, Nick Sherrod. Those guys are just like, what are they? Twenty-five. All of them. I be. mean, it's just it's just incredible how old they are. Um, you know, you wonder if this is finally going to be the year where they'll be healthy. You know, where they won't necessarily suffer injuries like they have. Uh, Nick Sherrod has dealt with ACL injuries two years in a row. You 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 know, I wish that young man all the best in terms of playing 30 healthy games and, and finishing his career the way he should. Um, you know, and and injuries are a factor already. In the A-10, when you look at St. Louis, they've lost Javante Perkins for the year to an ACL. He was a preseason first-team all-conference pick. Uh, VCU has lost a pair of players already, Jaron McAllister and Jameer Watkins. They have right knee injuries. Their are ACLs. They're done for the year. So obviously, VCU's backcourt depth is a little less, and certainly with Bones Highland going early to the NBA, that's a big loss for them. Um, I look at Davidson, Maury, as probably a team that could rise. I really like Hunjun Lee. He's one of the most efficient players in the league. He really shoots well. Uh, you got Luka Bragovich inside. Um, you know someone who can really play with his back to the basket. They've got a, Miss, a Michigan State transfer, Foster Lawyer, who's going to play point guard there. You wonder how quickly he's going to pick it up. Um, you know he could be the swing piece for them uh, because they still have Menenga on the wing, who, who's a really physical, tough kid. Um, so I could see Davidson being a team in the A-10 with a little bit of upward mobility. Um, you know, and I think there is opportunity there behind the front two when you consider the injuries at St. Louis, the injuries at VCU, uh, some inexperience at Dayton. Um, you know, I think that the top two and 14 were the three that I wrote in pretty quickly on my preseason ballot. Sorry, Fordham. Um but in between, I really, uh, I mean, I struggle to, to come up with an order from 3 through 13.
1: Yeah, I think so, I, I agree as well. I think the way that the preseason poll shook out, I think is pretty fair across the board for each program. But as always, there, there's definitely teams and, uh, and players that uh, will feel slighted based on where they're picked. Um, and I think if you're Rhode Island, I think you know seven's fair considering what they lost and where they finished last year because that's usually what most preseason polls are. But there definitely is opportunity for I to, to bump up and be a top five team. Maybe flirt with a double bye um, if things really shake out and go your way. Um, St. Joe's another one. I know I'm, we don't want to keep banging home the Philly point here, but when you have two all-conference selections, two, two guys that were on the second team in Taylor Funk and Jordan Hall – I think that's a team that could surprise as well. No, I agree. Um, I agree with you. To, to slide up a little bit there. And uh, UMass has some some, uh, some extra pieces. So I think, you know, if you're Rhode Island, you can't just focus on the teams that were picked ahead of you as well. you got to sort of look over your shoulder and, and make sure you beat those teams behind you because if they get steam, they can pass you. So uh, as as usual, it's going to be a competitive A-10. Uh, hopefully it's a multi-bid A-10 at the end of this year, which we hope we keep our fingers crossed for that. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. but but from top to bottom, it's going to be fairly competitive. Uh, maybe outside the bottom team or two.
0: Well, if the top two teams play the way they should, uh, you know, this will be similar to URI's second NCAA team in 2018. I think they were in the top 25 most of the year. St. Bonaventure came on like gangbusters at the end of the year, uh, and then you had Davidson ultimately slip in by winning the conference tournament. I, I could certainly see. The A10 is a three bid league this year. If that scenario plays out again, uh, if St Bonaventure plays the type, if Richmond is really good like we expect, and if one of VCU, St Louis, URI, St Joe's, Dayton manages to win the conference tournament in Washington, I, I could certainly see this being a three bid league. Um, you know, as you said, you you wonder how much the bottom beats up the top. If you stub your toe at George Mason in February, you know what does that do to Uh, You know your resume, your net ranking, you know whatever else, Um, and and that's always something that the A10 is going to battle because the teams at the bottom aren't necessarily going to be at large contenders, but they are going to be teams who have enough talent to beat you, Um, and that is sort of the difficult dance that uh, that A10 teams try to navigate as they go through the year.
1: Yeah, and, and one other point, just looking at some of the teams, the bottom half behind URI duquesne never easy to play gw's got older guys and an experienced coach so you know there's not going to be an off night you're not going to be able to you know go down the conference schedule and say win when you know there's going to be a lot of games that you're going to be in uh in until the end so um like we said just top to bottom the league is is fairly strong and um Sure, they don't. You know, they have a preseason top twenty-five team, but they don't have two, or they don't have you know two in the top thirty or two in the top thirty-five like we've seen in years past, right? Uh, or in the, the heyday of the A-10. Um, but uh, there are some teams down below that that could surprise you.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, football realignment being what it is, Bernadette Mcglade, get on the line with Temple, get them back in the league.
1: Yeah, let's let's do the right thing. Here. There's a couple national guys out there who I will leave unnamed. Uh, pushing for Temple to get to come back in the A10. I mean, really get get out of the American. Let's go. Yeah, those that those that I'm close with back home that have some ties to Temple. Just you don't you want to try to stay as high as you possibly can. Of course, um, I understand that with everything going on. So I you don't it. you don't want to be left behind. So I don't think you want to just. Fall back nope. uh, on purpose. No, nope. something that you want to do. It's
0: be like going back to your ex partner, your ex spouse. I understand that, uh, but sometimes there are benefits to that. Uh, that's an off the podcast conversation. Yep. Um, and with that, Maury, we will shift into Bryant before I get myself and in any trouble talking about my personal life. <laughs> uh, Bryant, the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, this is a team that was in the ascendancy, has been in the ascendancy for three years under Jared Grasso, and, and now. Uh, we've reached a point, Maury, where depending on your preseason outlet of choice, uh, Bryant is the favorite to win the NEC. Uh, I know they were picked second in the preseason poll by the coaches. Uh, Wagner was slotted in in the top spot, but but I know you know we've talked a lot about the NEC over the years. The talent is generally fairly equal in this league. Um, it is not a surprise when the sixth place team beats the top team. Uh, there just isn't that separation. The top two or three teams don't have pros. They don't have the one guy who's going to go out and score thirty points. And you're going to say, "Oh my god, this guy's a lottery pick." Like there's no Job Morant coming in the NEC, for example. Um, you know, so Bryant has positioned themselves as as a team to watch, both in this league and and at large in terms of their schedule. Uh, you know, a team that's that's really playing an ambitious non conference slate. And, and I know Jared Grasso is doing that to try to keep their attention throughout the year. Uh, you know I think the difficult part of Jared's job this season will be to prevent his team from playing all the way just looking at three games, the three games in the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose a conference championship game like they did last year to Mount St. Mary's, the natural inclination is, well, let's just fast forward and get back there. You know We're going to be back there. It's just going to happen. It right. doesn't work that way. You know, it's day to day, practice to practice, game to game. You still need to take those steps to get there. That tests your that tests your maturity, tests your patience. Um, you know, certainly things that that Bryant going to need to focus on as we go here. Uh, they were sixteen and seven last season. They were ten and four in the NEC. Um, you know, took a big leap from year two to year three. Uh, Turned into one of the fastest teams in the country in terms of adjusted tempo. One of the best shooting teams in the country last year. Uh, 16th in three-point shooting. They were 11th in three-point defense. If you were sort of a a metrics, you know, an efficiency-based connoisseur of college basketball, if you just looked at those numbers, this would have been one of your favorite teams to watch because what do you want teams to do? Shoot the three well, defend the three. Make your free throws. Those are the three most efficient ways of scoring and of defending. Bryant was good in all of those areas. Um, you know, so I, I look at the Bulldogs. They're picked second. I certainly could see them winning this league. I expect them to win the league. To be frank, uh, I expect them to be in the NCAA tournament, and I know that they think the same. But I am very interested to see
1: how they navigate the process of thirty games. Me too. I am. I am as well. Um, especially knowing that that. You know, that game against the Mount still still hangs there, and still, still, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? It stings. Uh, it it hurts. stings. It's uh, yeah, it motivates, motivates. Sticks motivates. in your craw. Yeah, it does. It does. It's um, a burr in your saddle. It's a you know. It is. Um, so yes, it'll be interesting. Right out of the gate, they play some up games um, at URI and at Clemson very early on, but this is a team, Coach, that in my opinion should be favored in every game this season outside of the three or four up games that they play um so you think like 26 wins like like you're going oh yeah this is a team yeah capable for sure okay oh yeah when you have i like that when you have a player like peter kiss and hall elijahs and charles pride pride that are unquestioned three of the top 10 players in the league yeah this is a team that should win how many games do they play in the nec uh, the NEC, they, they play 18, they're scheduled
0: for 31 overall, okay. uh, that includes Fisher, which
1: is their opener, right, on November 9th uh, at the Chase. Right, okay, so of the 18 games, yeah, this is a team that I expect to win 15 or more in conference. Okay. Um, at least, at least. This is a team that I don't expect to get swept on a weekend. Right. Too talented. Sure. And... You know, outside of an off game or two, which they definitely can have, because mm-hmm. uh, that's the style that Jared Grosso plays, and mm-hmm. he understands that as well. When you push the ball up and down the court like they do, and they and they pretty much have the green light at all costs, um, you can run into a game that you that you miss you miss shots, but I don't think it lingers that long. Um, they've added some size that we'll get into um, that they sorely missed in that championship game against the Mount. Yes, um, and I think this is a team that if they play to their potential, this yes, this is a team that could flirt with. Thirty wins when you include a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a championship game in the NEC.
0: So they would be on Selection Sunday. They'd be the team that pops up from the conference. Like, so let's say we're sitting in Southern California. We don't watch the NEC. Obviously, it's a one bid league. It's a you know bottom eight conference according to Ken Palm. Bryant pops up as a 16 seed, maybe going to Dayton, maybe not, and they're 27 and five. Right. Let's say. And you're sitting there in Southern California filling out your brackets and you say, Bryant, who are they? But they're 27-5. and five. <laughs> They must be halfway decent, right? You're, that's that's kind of what you project for them? They are, for Somewhere sure. Somewhere
1: in there? Outside of Cincy, Houston, and Clemson, they have a chance to win every game on their schedule. Yeah, and they have a chance to win those. They've, they have a chance to beat a Clemson team. You might be able to pick off Houston, coming off the Final Four, overlooking them. Not sure about Cincinnati. Yes, this is a team that I expect to go out there and win game after game after game, and in, and a lot of them in blowout fashion.
0: The the schedule is brutal, and and it was designed that way. Um, you know, to try and pull the maximum out of this team. Um, you know, you're at URI as part of the Sunshine Slam, but the rest of these you took by choice. Uh, at Clemson, you got bought. At Brown, which is a home and home, and a, to be fair, a nice home and home for both teams, uh, good competitive game for for both teams. Um, you know, two teams that I wouldn't necessarily say that they play similar style, um, but they're not so far apart. They both want to be skilled. They both want to have good guards. They both want to shoot it a little bit. Um, you know, Brown isn't like they're not like Penn, where they just want to run you over with the front court. You know, that's not necessarily who they are. Um, so I think they mesh well with Bryant in terms of game style. If you're neutral, you, you kind of watch that game, and it goes up and down a little bit, and it's kind of nice. Uh, you're at Houston, who is in the Final Four. You're at Cincinnati. Um, Stony Brook away. Cornell away. Uh, Eastern Kentucky at home. They, they only play four true home games. In the non-conference, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you have a very experienced roster returning. You're not necessarily worried about putting these guys on the road. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the guys. Peter Kiss, obviously, is a preseason NEC first team pick. Uh, had a triple-double in a game last year. Is a guy who can stuff the sheet. Uh, has played at a high level, Quinnipiac and in, 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 uh, Rutgers, before this. Uh, Charles Pride was really, really good in the exhibition game against Nichols. Had 29 points. 24 of those were in the first half. He was 6 for 8 from 3. Uh, Maury, he looks leaner to me. He looks more like a shooting guard mm-hmm. to me. I think he was recruited more as like an undersized small forward uh, out of high school in upstate New York. And and now he looks like a guy who can play and score on the perimeter. Um, you know, you mentioned Hall Elijahs. He looks healthy, which... Keeping that guy healthy is really, really important for this team. He's a premier shot blocker. He's finished each of the last few years hurt, a knee injury two seasons ago. Last year, he played the last few games with a sports hernia. Um, you know, His explosiveness inside makes him a premier defender in that league. Uh, Chris Childs is back, 39.5% three-point shooter last year, a guy who can really stretch the floor for them, um, You know, really fits into their style well. Um, you know, you've got a bigger sort of hybrid wing guard in Luis Hurtado. Uh, Erickson Bands, the former Shea High star, he started against Nichols the other night and, and looks a lot more comfortable. He's stronger. He's added about 10 or 15 pounds of muscle. This, this isn't the sort of wispy Erickson that we saw playing against Holman two or three years ago. Um, you know, this looks like a guy who can play college basketball at this point and, and play a fair amount of minutes. Um, you know, so I, I look at their returners and even before they added a transfer or before they added some experience, this is a good core to start with. Mm-hmm.
1: It is no doubt it's it's outside of Providence, probably one of the better cores in our area that, that, that are returning um, and I say that with a caveat of brown didn't play last year right right, but Brown still has a very great core that's returning in tamining Cho and uh, other pieces around him. Right.
0: Brown didn't play, and URI struggled. Correct. And, and you look at URI's talent, and you think, it should be a good core on paper. Should be. We just haven't necessarily seen it on the floor. Bryant was a year ahead of them on the floor in terms of production, in terms of winning, whatever else. I, I know what you're getting at.
1: For sure. And then you look at the pieces that they added. Um, yes. You know, Those are the pieces that, that we knew about, the returners. Um, the one that I am really... Um, I guess, impressed so far, and I only saw him play you know, once in, in that exhibition game, and I've heard a, a little bit about him, is, is Adam Alita. Yep. Um, is the grad transfer from Northern Kentucky. six five, two ten, 6'5", 210. Um, a piece on the wing that can play up and play and can handle a 3 or a 4 from the ACC. Mm-hmm. Whether it's 40 minutes or whether it's 28, we'll see. Um, but... Somebody who you can at least put out there on the court and looks like a a a a higher caliber player with a bigger body, a more pro-ready body um, than sometimes you get in the NEC. And and I think that's was what was sorely missed in that championship game. The Mount really pushed them around last year. Uh, sure, Bryant had some players that didn't play due to COVID nineteen, but six five two ten. I think he really adds a, a big dimension. Uh, there for Brian on the court. Can shoot the ball a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Flash the three, I think, hit a couple threes in that exhibition. So can also stretch the floor and can also play the Jared Grosso style um, of getting up and down the court. And same thing with Greg Calixt, Uh the transfer from George Mason, 6'8", 235. So you have two or three big bodies behind Hall Elijahs. It's not just four guards and one big. You can now go two or three guards, bigger guards, too, like you mentioned with Childs and like you mentioned I mean um, uh, Pride. And kiss. You can now go two bigger bodies down below. Maybe three bigger bodies if you really need uh, two to flank Elijah. So uh, this is a team that looks more like an A ten squad. Yep. Um, in a lower level league.
0: Yeah. You you could you could see a lineup this year where you've got five guys between six four and six eight, which last year they really couldn't do. Uh, you know, if you take Childs and you put him on the bench, Bands. Um, you know, and you have Hurtado running the point with Pride, Elita, you know, Elijah's, Kalixt, or Kiss, Elijah's, you know, something like that. Right. All of a sudden, you've got decent length mm-hmm. out there. Uh, it's a much bigger backcourt. Um, you have other options there. Obviously, you, you mentioned Kalixt. He played 110 games at George Mason in four years. Very experienced guy. Uh, even if he can play 12 or 13 minutes a game behind Elijah's, so I, I think that's huge from the standpoint that you're. You're not super small in the front court at that point. You still have a rebounder out there. You still have someone who has a little bit of presence at the rim. Uh, you know, another guy who I, I know they're intrigued by is Tyler Brelsford, who's a transfer from George Washington, uh, who profiles as a future point guard on this team. He's six foot four. He gives them a little bit of length. Um, you know, and, and obviously all of this, Maury, is, is to try to replace Michael Green the third who transferred to Robert Morris. He's really their lone, sort of high-profile loss at Bryant, but such a key piece because he was the point guard. Someone who was the Rookie of the Year in the league two years ago, uh, a guy who could make shots, uh, who was superb in the win at UMass last year, uh, was the best guard on the floor against an A-10 team. Um, you know, So you wonder, as you go forward into the schedule um, and in the NEC, which is such a perimeter guard-driven league, uh, you know, who does Bryant turn to? Who emerges as that primary ball handler? Do they commit to one guy, two guys? Is it by committee? I, I think that's maybe going to define what their ceiling is in terms of this season.
1: And I think that's why to play devil's advocate to my uh, me being so high on this team, I think a reason why they could struggle early on is because they do have a question mark at that point guard position. I think that's why we saw them give Syracuse a run for their money. The first game of the season last year was because Michael Green was back. Oh, and Joe Girard was terrible. And Dr- yeah, and, and Syracuse had COVID issues coming into that game. But, yeah, that was tough. Um, however, when you have that identity leading leading your team, and he was coming off of the NEC Rookie of the Year, and they were building momentum, I think that's where you could pick a team off. Here now, they could they could take their lumps early on in the season. Tyler Brailsford and uh, you know some other guys that you know potentially. Uh, uh, and Ericsson Bands, who are thrust into a new role, um, yeah, major
0: for the, minutes for the first time, something like
1: that, for sure. Yeah, and and especially the system that Grasso makes. You know, Grasso has installed, um, you know, his best teams at Iona uh, and his best team last year. at Bryant had a true point guard leading the way, and and I think Bands and Brelsford can be that. But game one or game two at Clemson or game whatever it's going to be six or seven or eight at Cincinnati and Houston that weekend when they play back-to-back, it might take them a little longer to get going. Um, I don't think it will. I think they'll, I think they'll hit the ground running, but um, if it does take a little longer, that could be a big issue. The, the one thing about Ryan, I, I think, and, and you know they are very
0: much, as, as I alluded to at the top, they are very much a modern college basketball and, and really basketball at large team from the standpoint that you shoot the three, you defend the three. That's what the NBA game is about now. Um, you know, it's efficiency. It's getting to the foul line. It's making three pointers. The mid range is gone. There's no post up game. There's no, you know, sort of like craftiness between you know the elbows and and whatever else. It, it is very much uh, pace and space. Um, you know, trying to overwhelm opponents with your tempo. Um, you know, with your offensive options uh, and getting to the foul line. And, and Bryant was elite in, in all of those areas last year. Um, if they're able to continue that this season, uh, certainly they're going to win a lot of games. Whether it's in the league, outside the league, they'll be a dangerous opponent. Um, you saw what they did against Syracuse last year. Just the, the three-point shooting in the first half, specifically. Um, the fact that you're able to do that to any opponent. Come out on any given night and have four guys on the floor at a given time who are able to knock down threes. Um it just makes your offense so much more easy. You know, it's so much more comfortable when shots are going down. Yep. You're so much harder to play against. You're in rhythm. Um, you know, you look at, obviously, other teams in the market, like URI and PC, who have occasionally struggled to shoot the three, and you look at them offensively and you think, this is such an uphill slog. It's such a grind. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to win games 64-58. It's so difficult to do that consistently. Um, and Bryant has veered in the other direction. They've said, we're going to bring in skilled guys, shooters, guys who spread the floor, um, You know, guys who give us a chance. Even if we can't match up physically, inside, you know, we're not going to be as athletic as some of our opponents. We're not going to be as long or, or as tough. But we're going to beat you by moving the ball, spreading the floor, making open shots. Um, you know, and they're, they're all in on that. They've committed to it. We started this talking about identity with I. Bryant's is real easy to see. Yep. You see them coming from a mile away. It's either going to work or it's not. Um, you know They did show some variability down the stretch last year. Um, you know They were able to win some games in the half court. Merrimack sticks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conference semifinal against Sacred Heart sticks out. They executed really well in, in a half court game in, in that setting. Um, they really showed some maturity and, and some confidence in that way. Um, but I look at this team, and if they're going to win in the NEC – it's going to be playing the way that they play. Uh, you know, you look at the rest of the league, obviously Wagner, as I said, is picked first. Uh, Mount St. Mary's picked third. They're the defending conference tournament champions. Uh, Damian Chong-Kui, their, their wonderful point guard, has transferred. Uh, you know, So obviously that hurts the Mountaineers. Uh, Long Island picked fourth with a pair of first-team selections. Uh, Ty Flowers and Errol Penn, that's under uh, old friend Derek Kellogg, who used to coach at UMass, obviously. Uh, the bottom half of the league: Sacred Heart, St. Francis Brooklyn, who will have a Pawtucket native on the roster this year, Tedrick Wilcox, the former star at Tolman. He's transferred up from Division Two. Um, St. Francis, PA, Fairley Dickinson, who picks second to last. You don't normally see Fairleigh Dickinson, nope, down there. Uh, and Central Connecticut, uh, you know, rounding out the poll. Um, you know, I'm curious as I look at the rest of the league. You know, obviously Wagner has talent. Uh, two first-team guards preseason Elijah Ford and Alex Morales. Uh, it feels like Bashir Mason has been there forever, and he's not forty yet. Still not. He, he's still you, one of the forty under forty up-and-comers. You know, <laughs> you, you look back and you think that he got that job at twenty-eight or twenty-nine years old uh, to replace Dan Hurley, and and has you know been able to to maintain that level and and keep Wagner a contender in the NEC, which is not an easy gig. Um, you know, he's certainly one of the bright young coaches in the sport. Um, you know, I, I look at the rest of the league, and, and I think you know, Mount St. Mary's a bit of a, you know, bit of a question. You know, they're going to have a strong front court. Um, you're not necessarily sure what they're going to do in the back court. Long Island, you know, they're going to play the way they play. Derek Kellogg's teams. They chuck a bunch of threes. They're athletic. Uh, you know, they try to get up into you defensively. Um, you know, Flowers obviously is a UMass transfer. He can play higher than the NEC. Um you know, someone who, who could end up being the best player in this league, to be fair, uh, you know, if he has a good season. So, you know, I look at the rest of the league, Maureen, and I, I just see, you know, there are two or three teams there who could certainly contend for a conference title. Yeah,
1: there are. No doubt. No
0: question about it. Um, you know, but Bryant is firmly among them. And uh you know, going into year four, Jared Grasso, I, I think this is you know, this should be uh, the best version of Bryant that we've
1: seen since they moved to Division One. No, it should. But the, the thing I come back to, Bill, is a successful season for Bryant has to be playing in the big dance. It because is. Because anything shy of that, you're back to where you were last year. Yeah. Bryant has it on their shirts, unfinished business. Right. Jared Grosso knows what the deal is. He's got players that want to win a ring. Peter kisses last year in college basketball. Uh, they've got some other talent there that have been in the game and have been at the program, so... Um, it's tough because you know that there are other teams that, on their good nights, can come and beat you. Uh, however, the bar is so high based on last year and based on the talent you've brought in.
0: Yeah, this is the complexity of one bid leagues. Um, you know, you look at Providence in the Big East, and you figure that five or six teams are going to be in the NCA in a given year, and you know Providence can go twenty and eleven, and and they can go twelve and eight in the conference, mm-hmm. and they can reasonably expect to play in March. Bryant's season comes down to those three games at the end. Um, You know, quarterfinal, semifinal, NEC conference final, which hopefully you play out the regular season, you're the one seed, you get to play those games at home, would make a huge difference with fans back in the chase. Uh, You and I have been in there on some nights, even for some good high school games, state tournament games. That place rocks. Small high school gyms, cement walls. You know, you're not going to have many visiting fans being able to get tickets in there uh, if Bryant decides they want to bang it out. Um, you know, so you're playing all season to get to that. You're, you're playing all year to get to March, to get to those three games, and to ultimately win one more game than you did last year. Um, it's a difficult standard to set. It's it's a you know a difficult bar to hold them to, but they've sort of set it there. They've put it there, uh, you know. And I think that's that's what we're going to expect out of them uh, going into this season. Uh, wanted to touch on the women's programs here, Maury, before I let you go. In the state, um, you know, specifically take a look at URI, uh, who was picked second in the Atlantic 10 this year. Uh, obviously, last season they finished fourth in the league, uh, got a double bye in the conference tournament, had some injuries toward the end of the season, and, and lost to VCU in the quarterfinals. VCU ultimately ended up winning the A10 tournament, secured the auto bid to the NCAAs. But, you know, I look at URI among the four women's teams in the state, and, and I look at genuine buzz there. And and I can't necessarily remember the last time we had that in Kingston. This has been a program that has struggled over the years. Uh, you know, before Tammy Reese was hired, I think in the 97 previous games they were 18 and 79. Um, you know, really, really struggled. A, a team that has traditionally been toward the bottom of the Atlantic 10. And you look at last year, and they're picked 11th in the standings. They bring in some transfers who ultimately hit. They've brought in some more transfers this year. Uh, they've relied on an international connection uh, from France, and, and they've managed to bring in several players from there. Um, you know who are playing their college basketball in the states. Um, you know who they've ultimately brought in from other programs. Uh, you know that's that's been a, a winning recruiting philosophy for them. Um, you know, but I look at what Tammy Reese is, is building there into her third year. She's already received a contract extension. Uh, through 25 26 um you know and i'm really intrigued by
1: what the uri women could produce this year in the atlantic 10 me too and i think it's great for the state i think it's great for the even the school and 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 for david cox's program i think anytime you have a really good other program it's and it's not just about the men or it's not just about the women i think that fuels um good competitive drive between between your athletic teams in your athletic department and um what Tammy Reese has done has been incredible in, in such a short amount of time. Um, but now they go from the Hunters to being the hunted. Right. And it's not just about where you're picked in preseason. It's not just about past success. It's now, okay, every single game you go out there, people know the quality of your team. People know what you guys can do. People know what you did the, pre- the season before. It's a different mindset. And can Tammy Reese now coach a team with a different mindset, with the target on their back, as opposed to going after others?
0: You have the co-player of the year in the league, and uh, Emmanuel Tahan, she returns, uh, redshirt senior, so obviously a great amount of experience there. Uh, Marie Paul Fapasi is a preseason All-Conference selection; uh, she returns. Um, you know, you're, you're just you're looking at this roster, and, and you see you know talent at just about every position. Um, you know, and you've brought in grad transfers from four different schools, so that makes me believe that there are folks on the outside who are looking at this, and they're seeing the same things that, that we are. Uh, you, know, you bring in Chanel Williams from Providence. She comes down Route 4. Uh, grad transfer at Point Guard, who is going to allow them to play at a certain pace. Um, you bring in Anna Dremaine from Texas A&M. Uh, she has experience in the SEC. Obviously, you bring in Rebecca Demeke from nc state experiencing the acc Uh, and then the big transfer recruit they got was des elmore from seton hall she was a first team all big east player last year someone who put up 17 and 9 for the pirates uh, was top 15 in the league in points rebounds assists steals and block shots so you're looking at someone who can play on the wing at 510 you know play a second guard potentially a third guard um, and most importantly, you've built depth here. Mm-hmm. You know, last year you had five or six players who, who took up most of the minutes. Uh, you know, you get to the end of the year and you're a little tired and a little worn out, and, and you know it's just not necessarily you're not necessarily going to be able to finish it off when you get into a conference tournament. Um, you know, but I look at this team and and to have I pick second based on where they've been previously. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a great opportunity for them to sort of break through and maybe establish themselves in the market a little bit with fans coming back to the Ryan Center. You know, this could be the start of something here. And, and I look at other college basketball markets, in, in, in the women's game specifically, um, and it seems like it's, it's very coach-driven, obviously. Uh, you know, you get a great coach, you build around that great coach, that great coach can recruit, can get players to play, um, and you can be good at like a Southwest Missouri State or a Louisiana Tech or Quinnipiac, which you were talking about mm-hmm. before we came on the pod. Um, could Tammy Reese be that type of coach at URI to establish something solid and lasting here? I think there is opportunity in the women's game. I, I think it's less conference affiliated, maybe. Then the men's game, where if you go to say an SEC program, an ACC program, we're going to spend a certain amount, we're going to have NIL deals for certain players, you're going to be able to come in and finish sixth and make the NCAA tournament in a given year. Um, you know, if if you max it out at a certain point, you could win the league. Um, I think the women's game is different in that way. I, I think it's maybe more like islands throughout the country as opposed to say. Conference
1: affiliation dictates everything. Yeah, for sure. And, and we've seen it happen in the past with some of the schools you mentioned there. Uh, so Tammy Reese definitely does have an opportunity, and, and, and it's great. Go out and, and support women's basketball. Go out and watch women's basketball. It's fundamental. Um, it plays a team. Not to say that the men don't, but, um, you know, all five players on the court involved. And um, the talent <laughs> the talent that she brought in, I think, is, is undeniable and uh, should definitely, you know, make an impact this year, and, and hopefully they can continue to ride that momentum from last year.
0: You know, and we've obviously seen it in the region with, with the monolith next door, with, with UConn uh, being who they are. Um, you know, that's that's the gold standard for, for women's college basketball. Um, and, and everyone's hope, of course, is, you know, that their program could turn into UConn, that you could hit on that generational coach. Uh, you know, all of a sudden it takes off for whatever reason, and and you have your own version of Rebecca Lobo and and Jen Rosati, and they sort of get it established, and <laughs> you go from there. And you know, thirty years later, you've got Paige Beckers and and Ozzy Fudd. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's all that easy. Uh, Chino R E M might have something to say about that, but I I think it's exciting that you know we go into this season, and you know, it's more than just expectations for men's teams here. That you have at least one women's team who is expected to contend at the top of their league. I, I you know, I, I can't necessarily remember uh, since Bryant went to Division One. They they were obviously a very good Division Two program under Mary Burke uh, in the Northeast Ten. Um, you know, we're very competitive in that league every year. Um, you know, I can't necessarily remember the last time we had a women's Division One program in the state who was picked in the top three of the league preseason. Um, you know, so I think that, that generates a different kind of buzz on um, maybe those off nights where, where the men's program isn't playing at the Bryant Center.
1: Yeah, and one other point to make I think we see this early on with Rhode Island and, and Bryant. You see double headers in the gym. That's so right. You see a women's right. program playing at five or six o'clock and then you see the men playing at seven or eight. Or flipped. You know, get the people in the door for the men and then have them stay for the women. Um, so I think a little bit more smarter scheduling could help that as well to continue to grow the game. And as I'm pulling it up here, I believe the Bryant, and I think Bryant's also giving away like a free flight to Florida for their season oh, opener for the Sunshine Slam, so the Sunshine yes. Slam. So yes. it's if you go and if you, it's only if you're a Bryant student, but it's a good way to to promote uh, people to come to both games. I think if you go to the Bryant women's game and then you go to the men's game. you are entered in a raffle um, to get flights down there. Plus, I think it includes hotel rooms as well. Um, But yes, so Bryant does a doubleheader, and I believe here, if I'm looking correctly, yeah, the Rhode Island women play Merrimack at home Friday, November 12th at 8.30. And they host Bryant at 6 o'clock that same night. So it's a great night. Go out, support both teams, and learn about a new team that is on the rise. There's no reason why more athletic departments in the region and in the country shouldn't be doing more of that you know sure i get you know you want the gate you want two separate gates but support support the programs yeah
0: no absolutely um yeah that's that's definitely a a, an important piece of, of trying to build something for sure uh, you're telling me the college students like Daytona Beach? Is,
1: is, that, is that what you're trying to tell me? I think they like anywhere warm and sunny <laughs> when you go to a New England school in, in the middle of November.
0: It's not so bad, right? <laughs> All right, Maury, uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast with this. I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I'm also going to do this to Coady uh, when, when he comes in for the uh, Providence and Brown previews. I'm going to set the over-under at one and a half for our men's teams. One and a half. How many NCAA tournament bids will we have Among our four men's basketball teams this season.
1: Should we have or will Will we we have? have, Will we have?
0: (sighs) Taken over or under?
1: He's writing things down, folks. Oh, my God. This is is putting me on the spot, but I like it. Big Um, calculations. Should be over. Over. Should be over. Okay. Um but we'll be under. But we'll be under. We'll be under. Ooh. Yeah. Strong. We'll be under. Um I gotta see I gotta see it out on the court. I gotta see it first. And and it'll be good to fun to, to talk about every week here on the pod or every other week, however we do it. Um yeah, I think it will be under. Um now when you I say think the teams will be competitive. Oh, you want me to go who? Well no no no,
0: no. i when you say should be over, you're not saying four.
1: No, oh, no, no, no. It should no. be two. Okay. It should be two. It should be two in Providence and Bryant.
0: Okay. Um, oh, so you did. You just followed there, <laughs> there it was.
1: Well, that's the should I, be over. I wasn't going to pin know you what? down. Who cares? You know, this is my opinion. It should be over in Providence and Bryant. Should be the two. Providence should be a top six team in the Big East. With right. the talent they bring back, they should be in at-large. Right. Even if it's Dayton, they should be in. Right. Bryant should win the NEC. right? They're expected to win the NEC. They're picked there. They've got the players. They've got the coach. They're ready to, 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 to break through.
0: And you're there last year. You're on the lip of the cup.
1: Right. With a home game. Brown, see, that's the interesting one because I think they're the next closest because of the way the conference tournament is constructed. Sure. With only four teams making the Ivy League playoff, you get in. You win two games. Just two back-to-back. Right. You pick one team off. And if you're, the, let's say you're the four seed, you pick off the regular season champ. Well, now you're facing a team you probably have beaten during the regular season, or you didn't finish that far behind in the standings. It's not three and so three days close. or four and four days, which is hard, right? Um, so it should be over, but I think it will be under. I think it's either Bryant or Providence gets in. Wow, um, strong. So yeah, it just um, yeah, I think the Big East is pretty strong. Um. And you never know with, with a team like Bryant who is projected to be so great and be at the top of the league all, the whole year. And how does that weigh mentally on a team? And um, other teams come in and play with house money in that quarterfinal, in that semifinal. We saw last year with the Mount going on the road and picking off Wagner, who was the top team in the league. So um, I think it will end up being one, but it should be two. And it's obviously our jobs are better when there's all four or three in the dance. We, we, don't, we don't root for the teams we cover, but when they win, we get to cover bigger games, better games, games with more attention. Every coach, every player is in a
0: better mood when they're winning. They're more interested in answering questions when they're winning. They're more interested in telling us how they feel, um, you know, telling us a little background on how they got here. All of that stuff happens when you're winning. Yeah. It, it's a lot harder to do the job when teams are losing. No question about it. That that certainly
1: affects us. So I don't want to let you off the hook. No, but the over under at one and a half. Yeah. What do you see in March?
0: I'm uh, you know no one has ever accused me of being an optimist uh, <laughs> as everybody knows, but I also would take the over. Uh, you know I would take the over. I would take two. I would take the same two that you had, uh, Providence and Bryant. I think Bryant wins the NEC. Uh, I do. I think that experience from last year, um, you know, gets them to the point where. Uh, you know, that, that sort of loss drives you, I think. Uh, and especially when you couple that with the talent that Brian has, I, I think that adds up to a team that can win an NEC tournament on its home court. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily certain that they'll be the one seed. Uh, the margins in that league are, are so fine over the course of the regular season. Um, but I think if they're able to win the regular season title, I don't think there's any way they lose a postseason game at home. I, I just I find that very hard to believe. Uh, that visual that Charles Pride talked about the other night of coming out to shoot after losing to Mount Saint Marys and seeing the nets cut down on the two main baskets at the Chase. If he's remembering that picture so clearly, you know, six seven months later, you want to talk about motivation. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see Providence in a similar way to you. Um, I think that the strength of the league will lift them ultimately into the tournament. They'll they'll be the fifth or sixth team out of the Big East. Uh, you know, I look at the top of that league, Villanova's really good. I think UConn, offensively I have questions about UConn. Defensively, I think they're going to be a nightmare mm-hmm. to play against. Uh, with the front court they have, the perimeter athletes they have, uh, there are going to be a lot of teams stuck in the forties and the fifties against them this year. Um, I've seen that script b- before out of Dan Hurley. I-, I know how difficult it is to to play against his teams when when he likes them and they're you know they have a certain amount of continuity and whatever else. Um, you know Xavier in that league is really intriguing. Uh, Butler in that league is really intriguing. They were young last year, but they do have some quality players. Um, you know, I I think that there is room there. For Providence, if AJ Reeves plays well, yes, I think he's a, a big bellwether for them. Um, you know, I think that they could squeeze into a five or a six spot. I, I don't think that's out of line. Um, they play enough games in the non-conference where they could build their strength to schedule. You know, maybe approach nineteen twenty wins if they can win eleven or twelve games in the Big East. That's enough. Yep, generally, um, they may end up in Dayton. They may end up with a 10 or 11 seed and, and you know, ultimately play a game that, that they don't really want to play in the first round or in the second round. Uh, you know, I understand that. That's that's hard, uh, but that's part of it. Um, you know, but I – yes, if, if you had to ask me, I would say two. Um, you know, I would say Providence and Bryant, and, and I think that uh, ultimately we are going to be on the road when uh, March Madness shows up here. Um, you know, and, and very much looking forward to, to that point. Yeah. Uh, we will be that much further – uh, removed from the height of COVID nineteen, uh, we will have fans in the building throughout the season. Uh, you know, very much looking forward to the atmospheres of college basketball being back, and very much looking forward to the pod. Uh, you know, it's it's great to have you back across from me here in the studio, Maury. We're back. We are back, uh, and with that, we will sign off on our first season preview edition of the Providence Journal College Basketball Pod. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you join us throughout the year.